0: I wonder if you have ever been misjudged. I wonder if anyone has ever um, labeled you and thought you are a certain type of person and sort of um, prejudged you. Um, you know, the word prejudice means to prejudge someone in a negative way. Maybe someone has judged you because of the color of your skin or your gender. Or your age, or because of how you dress, the people that you know, um, it can be a big problem. In this uh, passage, we see Abraham getting into a difficult situation, and it's because of a prejudice uh, that he had initially. He meets this man named Abimelech, and Abimelech was a king in a place called Gerar. And that's down near where the Philistines lived. Amazingly, God guards Abraham and Sarah and even blesses this man, Abimelech. And the thing that we see with this passage is that even though Abraham is faltering in his faith, he is, you might say, faithless in this pattern of sin to which he returns with how he handles his wife, calling her his sister. Um, Even though Abraham is faithless in this, God blesses Abraham and God blesses this man Abimelech. What we see with this passage is two people. One is a believer and one is an unbeliever. God works in the lives of both. God is gracious to both. In fact, there are many parallels with this passage and with something that happens in the book of Acts. I just want to give a quick summary of that because it's it's so much, it's so informative to us. It, it shows us so much of, of what is happening here. In Acts chapter 11, this is after what happened when Peter went to the house of Cornelius. And Cornelius, a Gentile, becomes a Christian. And God pours out his spirit on them. Well, it says that the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. This caused a problem for them. Gentiles, who were being judged by Jews as people with whom you should not associate, are now calling themselves Christians. And Christians and apostles like Peter were going to them, even eating with them, which is a scandalous thing. It says, so when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him. They criticized Peter, Okay, and they said, You went to the to uncircumcised men and ate with them? Peter begins, re, begins retelling the story. He says, Look, this is something that God did. Um, I was in the city of Joppa praying, which I think he mentions that because it's similar to what God did with Jonah when Jonah was supposed to go to Nineveh. He was an unwilling prophet uh, sent to a people that he had prejudged as should not be included in God's favor, should not be welcomed by God into his community. Anyway, he goes there and he says, look, I had a vision when I was there. And God, in this dream, in this vision, there was a sheet that came down with all kinds of animals and they were unclean. And God told me to kill them and eat them. And I responded in the dream, Peter says, by saying, no way, by no means, Lord, because nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, saying, What God has made clean, do not call common. Now picture this. Peter is explaining this to the circumcision party in Jerusalem. Very, very Jewish. Gentiles are supposed to be kept out. And then Peter's explaining this. I was trying to be a good Jew. God showed me that I shouldn't call unclean what God has made clean. Okay? And it happened three times like this. Peter says, at that very moment, three men arrived to the house. And they said they were sent from Caesarea. And he says, the Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, told me to go with them, making no distinction. So he has this vision three times. And then he's told to go and to not make a distinction. That means don't treat Gentiles any different than you would treat Jews Go and do what I'm going to tell you to do. So then they go and they went to to Cornelius' house. And he explains, when I was there, um, he was in the house. And it says that they told him to go there and that he will declare to them a message by which they would be saved. So this is what happens. God's word comes to them. It comes in this way. And he does, and it says that the Holy Spirit fell on them just as it did at the beginning. He's talking about Pentecost. And he says, the thing that God did with us when we had this big Jewish party on Pentecost, God did the same thing with Gentiles. And they were there, and this was happening. And and so he says this, look, if God gave the same gift to them when they believed When just like we did, just like he did to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, here's the question. Who was I to stand in God's way? Now that's a rhetorical question. What he's saying is God is doing what God wants to do. We might judge the Gentiles to not be worthy of this, but God judged them to be brought in. And so then this is the statement. When they heard these things, Silence fell upon them. They glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. God has granted repentance that leads to life. It's amazing how God did this, and these Jews who were there, that were new believers in Jerusalem, thought that this was a salvation that would only be for the Jews. And they said, they're, they're amazed because it says, God has granted to the Gentiles also repentance. The old phrase is repentance unto life. Repentance that, repentance that leads to life. They should have known this because this is exactly what God did for Abimelech here in Genesis 20. What God did for Abimelech was he took a Gentile, he took a guy that was not a believer that had not known God, that didn't fear or worship Yahweh, and he shows him mercy. He comes to him in a dream. It's amazing how God has been working through dreams. I was sitting with, um, with some other pastors and a president of a seminary a month ago, and he told us about a thing that happened in Assyria, where in Assyria there was a man that went up to a, a little shopping, a little store, a grocery store, and they pulled up in their van And he got out and he went in. But when he went into this store, there was a man in front with an AK-47. And he was standing there and he was shaking. And he looked very agitated. And he walked right past. And he went went into the store and he got what he needed. And he came back out and he got in the van. Buckled up. Okay, let's go. And the wife says, because they're missionaries. The wife says, did you share the gospel with that man? And he said, he said, I didn't look like a good opportunity. Um, she doesn't say anything else to him. She starts praying. And she says, Lord, I tried to encourage my husband to witness to this man. On the day of judgment, I will be free of his blood. It will be on my husband. So he says, oh man. Grabs a Bible from the van. Walks back up to this man. Says, well, if I'm going to die, I'm going to die. Hands the man a Bible. And he said, I'd like to present to you this Bible. The man says, Three days ago I had a dream. and in the dream I was told that I should come to this store and someone would give me a book which have the words of life. And so he took the Bible and he hugged him and he was he was overwhelmed. God tends to work in this way. God used a dream there and another friend of mine that was a pastor with us at that dinner, He'd been going to different places where refugees were, were had been moving into Europe, and he was in Europe teaching uh, refugees from the Middle East. And he said many of them had dreams, where in the dream they weren't they weren't excited about the dream itself, but that it was teaching them to turn to Jesus to find Him in the Bible, and they were excited about the Bible, genuine new believers. God had worked. In Abimelech through a dream, God um, God works through His people as witnesses. But what He did with Abimelech was He He found a man that uh, was in deep water of of trouble. He was in a terrible situation, and He goes to him and He starts a conversation and He says, "You're a dead man." So let's look at this. We can see the rest of this passage unfolds in three parts. First. It's a call to repent. And that's what we see down through verse 7. God coming to Abimelech in this dream. And then there's a display of real repentance with Abimelech. And that's in the middle section until we get to the last two verses where this repentance is unto life. It's life for a dead man. The man that was declared dead. The contrast is between Abimelech and Abraham. With Abimelech, we see the way God deals with us When he calls us to himself. With Abraham. We see the way God uses believers. Despite our failures. Now God used. um, Abraham eventually. And that was a gracious thing. But God worked in Abimelech's life. Without the witness. Without the integrity or honesty. That Abraham should have had on display. For unbelievers. He calls him to repent. Uh, This. This um, weekend is what we call a Reformation Sunday. It's when we can remember how back in 1517, Martin Luther nailed those 95 theses to the, to the church door in Wittenberg. And it began things that brought people into um, understanding the power of the scriptures, the real gospel, that we are justified by faith. And when that happened, um, Luther was on the trail and he was close to being converted, but he wasn't actually yet converted. And that happened a couple years later when he was in a place called Erfurt. And when he was there, he was reading the book of Romans and he was studying to teach in a a seminary. He was a professor. He was a, a theological professor of the scriptures. And he was teaching the Psalms and he found in the book of Romans something that changed him. He was an unbeliever, and people had judged him to be a believer. And he was in that setting, but it wasn't until a couple years later when he found in the, in the book of Romans where it says, those who are just by faith shall live. Those who are made righteous by faith shall live. And he said, wait a second, there's a righteousness that comes from God to us that we don't establish. And his whole long life, he had thought, I have to work and I have to do things so that I will be righteous before God. And then he saw here that that righteousness in the Bible is something that comes from God and is given to us as a gift. Well, he had judged himself to be a believer and everyone else judged him to be a believer until that happened. And when Martin Luther saw that, he said that all of this scripture that he had memorized, even as an unbeliever, even as a professor in a seminary, came rushing into his mind, and everything changed for him. And Luther said, what I saw with all the scriptures was like my eyes could now see, that it was, it was the powerful working of God for his people in all these ways. He said, the whole scripture opened up to me in a different way. And he said, the very, it was as if the very gates of paradise opened up to me, and I simply walked in. And he points to that as when he was actually converted when he actually went from being an unbeliever to being a believer. Here, Abimelech is an unbeliever, definitely. We know people all around us that are unbelievers. There are people in our families. There are people that come here and worship with us that are unbelievers. There are people in our neighborhoods and the places where we work that are unbelievers. Our job is to witness to them. Our job is to be a witness to them. Abraham didn't do such a good job of that. What Abraham does is he has a prejudice against Abimelech. He acts in the fear of man. He lies. And then he puts puts all of them in the risk of adultery, a great sin. Look at what God does with Abimelech. God was gracious and patient with Abimelech. He comes to him with very serious terms. He says in verse 3, you're a dead man. That must have been a shocking thing, and it puts him in great fear. He comes to him in a dream, and Abimelech hears the first thing. When God appears to him in this dream, God says, you're a dead man. The first thing that God does when he brings us to himself is he convicts us of our sin, In John 16, it says that God will send his Holy Spirit. God works through his word going forward and his Holy Spirit at work. And he brings conviction of sin. God shows us that we are not acceptable before him. And then he shows us that we need a savior. God works in this way for his people. This is not the way, uh, this kind of terror is not the, the thing that is necessary for every single person. You think about Lydia Who heard the gospel, she simply went to a prayer meeting, she heard the message, she believed it, and she was a genuine believer. But whenever a person believes what we see with Abimelech, the person genuinely repents. Abimelech is being called to repent. Now, Abimelech didn't know that he was in danger until God revealed that to him. He didn't know that he was in danger and being called a dead man Brought that to his awareness. God says, you're a dead man because she is another man's wife. And look at the way God says it then. Abimelech had not approached her, so he says, look, I did this in the innocency. Okay, he says, will you kill an innocent people? Did he not say to me, she is my sister? And she herself said, he's my brother. And then he says this, in the integrity of my heart and the innocency of my hands... I have done this. In uh, Psalm twenty four, four it says, Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? Only those with clean hands and a pure heart. That is an echo of what Abimelech says here. He says, I didn't know that I was on the verge of such a great sin to bring your wrath upon me. And he says uh, he says, As far as I knew, my hands I've done this without Knowing sinfully with my hands or my heart. And God says, I know. God says, I understand this. Verse 6 I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart. And then look at what he says. And it was I who kept you from sinning. Notice that. There is what we call common grace in this world. God restrains people from sin even unbelievers. And it was God who kept this unbeliever from tumbling into this terrible sin of adultery. And he also says, it was me, it was I who kept you from sinning. Against who? He doesn't say against Abraham. He doesn't say against Sarah. He says, it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Friends, every single sin that we sin is first and foremost, by far, a sin against God. Do you know why? It's because God made you in His image. He made you to glorify God. And so every time we sin, the very worst thing that's happening with that is that we are misrepresenting God. That we are giving a false representation. We who are made in His image are sinning against God We are rebelling against God. We are doing something that does violence and misrepresents him. So God says, I kept you from sinning against me. Look at God's sovereignty in restraining Abimelech from tumbling into this sin. In making known what he had done wrong and what was about to happen and how dangerous that was. He calls him a dead man. Now look at what he calls him to do in verse 7. God calls him to repent. Verse 7, Now then, return the man's wife. Look at the phrase he uses. For he is a prophet. Do you know that this is the first time that phrase is used in the Bible? For he is a prophet. Okay, Abraham is called a prophet. So that he will pray for you, and you shall live. But, if you do not return her, know this, that you shall surely die. Now, first, this phrase about the prophet, and then we want to see about life or death that is held out before Abimelech. He's called a prophet. Well, in what way is he a prophet? A prophet is someone that knows God and represents God in this world. A prophet is someone who speaks God's word in this world. A prophet here is someone who was to represent God and to pray for Abimelech so that he would be healed, okay? Okay. God would call people to repentance and to be healed through his prophets. Here's the lesson for us. We Christians, we who are Christians, are called to a prophetic role. Do you know there are people all around us that don't know God? They don't truly know him. And they're not looking for the most complicated theological uh, solutions. Most people need to know from us, who are believers, that we believe... That we believe in the Lord Jesus, that we trust in him, that we believe that the Bible is true, that we believe that there's right and there's wrong, that there will be a day of judgment. There are people all around us who need to know these very basic things. Remember in Colossians chapter 4 verses 5 and 6, it says this, um, that we're to walk in wisdom toward outsiders, that we are to be wise in the way we act toward outsiders, It says, Letting your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you will know how to answer everyone. We are to always be representing God. Now, Abraham was to have that role. And what we see then in this next section is that he actually didn't do it really well. Um... But he was supposed to do that and God was so gracious that he calls Abraham a prophet even though he had been failing so much in his integrity and in his faith. Now look at the way that God holds out to Abimelech something. This is the, this is the role of every believer. Like Paul says to the Corinthians that we as believers are the aroma of life or of death to everyone around us. God says, if you obey what I'm telling you to do, return his wife. You will live if you obey my word. But if you do not, verse 7, look at what God says. You will surely die. He says to Abimelech, I'm holding out before you. This is what I'm telling you to do. I want you to repent. If you do, you will live. If you do not do what I say, you will surely die. Do you see it? Friends, this is the the reality for every single person in this whole world. Before every single person is held out. Life or death. And the message of the gospel is that if you turn to Christ, repent and believe in Him, you will live. But if you do not, you will surely die. So that's before them. In verses 8-16... through we see that there's a display of his repentance. Okay, Abimelech rose early in the morning and called to his servants. Abimelech here, what we see is he was a man of integrity and of generosity and of the fear of God. There's a contrast between Abimelech and Abraham here. Abimelech fears God. Abraham is fearing man. Um, Abimelech's sin was because of Abraham's lie got them both into terrible trouble God says this uh, you know in the first in the Corinthians chapter 11 um, the apostle Paul says to the Corinthians he says in the following directives I have no praise for you for your meetings do more harm than good <laughs> he's telling a church church you're doing more harm than good <laughs> churches can be pretty bad you know why because in Corinth They had a lack of love, they had divisions, they had uh, pride, they were a church that was doing more harm. And he's talking specifically about when they were gathering together. Some people were, were sitting down and they were eating all of what was supposed to be the Lord's Supper, and other people were going hungry. And he says, you guys are making these distinctions among yourselves, and this is a terrible witness. If anyone comes into your meetings, you know what you're doing? You're doing more harm than good. We as believers, we have to understand that we are witnesses. God calls us to be his witnesses. How can we do that? We are told to be inquiring of the Lord all the time, to be seeking his presence. We are supposed to walk in the Holy Spirit. Okay? Our lives must be controlled by him. And to do that, we have to learn how to walk with him. We have to learn how to have our thoughts and our minds and our actions in step with god's holy spirit how do we do that well we have to learn how to tune ourselves to be in sync with him to be in tune with god so that every day the things that come before us when we meet an abimelech when we meet an unbeliever when a situation arises we know how to act in that situation because we are close to the holy spirit and he is guiding us And he is showing us how to walk. That's the way to not fall into these patterns of sin. What happened with Abraham, though, was that he had fallen into an old pattern of sin. Remember what happened in Egypt in chapter 12? Pharaoh took his wife. What happens now? He walks in. Say, you're my sister. Yeah, that's the best policy. And Abimelech takes his wife. And imagine the anguish he's in again. Look at what we should learn about Abraham. Abraham. There are patterns of sin that we should realize in our own lives. This was an old pattern of sin. And this is again, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. We are told to trust in the Lord with all our hearts and not lean on our own understanding. In all our ways, we are to acknowledge Him and He will make our paths straight. Abraham was relying on his own understanding. He thought he had a plan. I wonder how many times he had used this scheme when he had gone to other places. It didn't work out well in Egypt, but apparently he kept doing it. So it doesn't work out great in Gerar. You know what we have to do? We have to recognize these patterns of sin in our lives. We have to recognize where we are relying on our own understanding and then kill those patterns of sin, those those places where we lack faith. Now, everything that Abimelech says after he speaks with his household and they're all terrified, they're marked by the fear of God. He addresses Abraham starting in verse 9. And look at all the things that he says. He's really making an argument with Abraham. He's saying, this is his argument. Who's the bad guy here? Now, notice what he says. Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, what have you done to us? He's saying, let's see who's the bad guy here. And how have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and my kinsmen great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you see that you did this thing? Now, his whole point is not really a question. The whole thing that he's saying is, I'm not the bad guy here. Abraham, you're the bad guy. And he's right. Now, the good guy in all of this narrative... Now, we're not talking about anything that happened before this, but in this situation, what has Abimelech done? He never went against his conscience. He never did anything that he thought was sinning against God. And he stopped when God revealed it to him. But he addresses Abraham in this whole thing. Abraham is amazingly dull in his response. Abraham is so dense that he actually answers the question wasn't a question, Abraham. But he says, oh, you want to know why I did it? Well, this is what I thought. I thought, there's no fear of God at all in this place, and they'll kill me because of my wife. I could just picture Abimelech like, there's no fear of God in this place? And Abimelech is displaying the fear of God right before Abraham. Abraham is displaying the fear of man. And his reasoning and his rationalization of this whole situation was allowing him to act without faith in God and therefore to sin, to lead others into sin. And then he continues. He says, oh, and you asked about this whole sister-brother thing. And it's like he rolls out the family tree and he says, the reason I did what I did was because I have this real humdinger of a plan. When I go to any new town... And it's like he's explaining to him that it's okay what he did, that it's okay. You know, we can really rationalize our sin, and we can even validate ourselves when we do wrong. We can see these little twists on it, but that's what he does. He says, look, she is actually my sister. Look at the family tree. Uh, Different mothers, but same father. So technically, see, I didn't really do something that was that bad. I think, I think Abimelech must have been pulling out his hair, if he had any, I don't know. Um, and then he says, uh, when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, this is the kindness you should do to me. Every place to where we come, he said, say of, of me, he is my brother. So she's in agreement. This is our plan. This is just how we roll. Oh, my goodness. I could just see Abimelech like, okay, he doesn't get it. He doesn't get it at all. But God told me to do this. So then Abimelech is generous. Look at what he does here. Verse 14, he gives amazing gifts. Verse 15, he says, the land is wide open to you. Live wherever you want. He's generous. He's hospitable. And then he takes care of Sarah in verse 16. He says, this is a thousand pieces of silver. This is a sign of your innocence. So what's happening here? He's acting in real repentance. Remember what um, it says in Acts 11? God then has granted repentance unto life, even to the Gentiles. What has God done here with Abimelech? Remember, he addressed him at first and he said, Abimelech, you're a dead man. Now that should wake him up. And it did. And he was afraid of God and he feared God. And then he put before him, if you return this man's wife, you will live. But if you do not, you will surely die. What does Abimelech do? He does what God says. He listens to his word. Here's the big point that we need to get from this narrative. God is bringing people from death to life by hearing his word and by believing his word. By believing the fullness of the gospel, we understand that means believing Christ, that he is the object of our faith. This is what Jesus said in John 5. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. That's what's before every single person. This message of the Lord Jesus Christ. We preach Christ, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1. And the reason is so that people will come to fear God and know God. The way to know God is through the person of God, the Son. God has made him, he has revealed him through all the scriptures. And we are his witnesses. Jesus said in in Acts chapter 1 to, to his disciples, he said, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then when anyone believes, when anyone calls on the name of the Lord, they will be saved. Jesus says, when anyone believes in me, when anyone turns and believes in me, when anyone repents, turning and trusting in Christ, they have passed from death to life. It happened with Abimelech. We're going to see in the next chapter that God brings him into the covenant with Abraham. And we even see that now. But God wasn't just putting Abraham in a corner. And that should be encouraging for us, Christians, who falter, who are not perfect in witnessing, who are not perfect in walking with the Holy Spirit. Look at what God does. Remember God said, you need to have Abraham pray for you so that you will live. Either Abraham was told by God to do this, to pray for Abimelech, or Abimelech told him what happened in the dream. Because look at verse 17. You see, this repentance unto life for a dead man. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech. And he his wife and his female servants, his children. And they gave, gave them children. For the Lord had closed the wombs of all the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. God didn't kill the man that he addressed first as saying, you're a dead man. But he gave him life, and he gave him blessings. And this reflects back on what God said about Abraham and about Abraham's seed. That whoever blesses you, I will bless. He brings this dead man into life. He heals him. He gives him children. He gives him a tangible sign of his blessing, which was an amazing thing. Here we see this repentance unto life. This is held out for every person. This is held out where God's word is held out. And anyone who will turn... From sin to trust in Christ, we'll have eternal life. What does it mean to repent? Look at what what Abimelech does. It means that in a tangible way, you have turned the direction of your life. It doesn't mean that you will never sin again. In fact, repentance is something that doesn't just happen once. Repentance is something that will continue all your life. Because you'll continue to sin. Or you'll realize that you're sinning in a certain way and you'll continue to turn. But repentance is tangible, repentance is practical. Look at the way Abimelech makes restitution, it reminds you of Zacchaeus. God had already worked in Abimelech's life, just like he worked with Zacchaeus, and he was generous with his response God, you want me to repent? I will repent. And it will be demonstrated. There will be no question about it. So the good news here is this as well. Even though Abimelech might have been what he was prejudged to be by Abraham, he changed. And here's good news too. People can change. We tend to prejudge others. We tend to put labels on them. We might even think, who... It is to whom we should worship. I mean, uh, witness. We should worship God only. Um, We might even think, I'm not going to share the gospel with that person. They would never believe. Okay? That's basically what Abraham does here. That's not for us to decide. God can change people. If you're here as a Christian sitting here today, it's because God has changed you. And if you understood the depths of what he did to transform your life you would understand that he is powerful enough to change any person that you meet. That's who he is. He grants repentance unto life. So the good news here is this, that God gives repentance to people who are dead in sin. He brings us to life. God is granting repentance unto life. Everyone who believes, everyone who turns and trusts in Christ will have that eternal life. Let's pray together.